Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm really excited today um, for one of the biggest reasons I, I made this podcast is to connect with people. Um, the guests that I have on today, we actually met before this podcast was ever born. <laughs> and she came onto the podcast, uh, I want to say early 2021, maybe late 2020. It was just like an awesome episode. Uh, she's super, super talented. Her name is Hannah, Hannah Echo. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yes. Thanks for coming back. Um, I love the conversation. I love all of our conversations, like for full transparency, we both lived in, um, in Miami. No, you didn't. Yeah. We both lived in Miami for like a, a chunk of time and, um, we met at an event at a tall girls event. Woo, woo, shout out to the tall girls mm-hmm. over 510, 5'8, you don't count. I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. There's I I give I get 5'7. I, I let them squeak in, you know, when they wear heels. Well, so it's I'm different, not giving 5'7. Definitely. I not. know. I'll, I'll give them a little bit. They're taller than the average. They are taller than average. I give five seven if you are five seven and you wear a size ten. Like if okay. you are struggling in some way, or like you're five seven and you've got like a thirty five inch inseam. Like if you're struggling to find clothes, to find a jacket that fits, if you're struggling to find shoes, then you can come to the tall girls. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, <laughs> if you, I would say yeah, you can. I was saying you can come really to the events, but I think if you want to call yourself tall, go ahead. Coming to the Top yeah. Girls Fest, that's another step, right? Yeah, you're right. Don't come to the event. Yeah, I meet girls and they're like, I'm 5'7", I'm so tall. I'm like, girl, I'm 6'3". That's, yeah, you're exactly. not tall. But hey, in your world, maybe Ooh. you're tall. <laughs> but um, for those who don't know, let me just give Hannah um, an introduction and whatever I say is not going to be enough. So she's definitely going to like round it off with all the new things that she's doing. But Hannah is a black Nigerian writer, a multimedia storyteller, edit editor, burlesque artist, canapreneur, canapreneur and coach. Uh, she's a leader of women writing weed and wine in the honey knife Academy, the premier finishing school for emerging writers. Uh, she's born in London, raised in Southern California. So shout out to the West Coast. Um, She's lived on both sides of the ocean. Um, Her work has been published in BuzzFeed. Bust. Bitch. That's that's the name of the magazine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Make slash shift Pigeon Pages NYC and Asterisk Magazines. She's a 2021 California Arts Council Emerging Fellow 
and a 2019 recipient of the Advancing Black Arts Grant, a Peter R. Taylor Kenyon Fellow, Tin House Scholar, and BONA alum, uh, which stands for Voices of Our Nation. And most importantly, she believes honey is the knife. And if you listen to her last episode, then you'll get to learn all about honey is honey is the knife and and the meaning the beautiful meaning behind that. But, whoo, Hannah, you have been very busy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> since the last time we spoke. Is there anything that I missed in that introduction? Um, actually, no, really. Like I was really listening. I'm like, I don't think that there's any. I mean, that kind of covers some of the newer things that have developed. Since, oh, I guess the only thing I would say is I am at work on my first novel and I'm getting close to first draft. So that feels very good. And I think, but that's not something I'm going to be like telling everyone, but for the listeners here, that is something that is very dear to my heart that I am currently getting to a, um, like, this is probably like what the second full, full draft. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Congratulations. That's Thank you. So today, um, I, so I follow Hannah, I am like subscribed to her email campaign from her website. If you're not, you should be subscribed. So go to the description and make sure you go to the, go to her website, sign up for emails. Um, I feel like they're blog posts and emails and I just, I just like your writing. So it's kind of fun to like peep in there and kind of see what you're writing, see what you're talking about. Um, she does similar things with her Instagram presence and um, yeah, I'll just like read your captions. They just feel like little mini books to me. So it's very, she just got away with words, but um, I, you posted something a while back and it, it had it alluded something to like writer's anxiety and writer's block. And as somebody who has anxiety, and if you can hear it in my voice, my anxiety is super high today. So if I'm talking fast, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like my my voice is like on a on like a freaking race car right now. Mm-hmm. But I got chamomile tea, so maybe that'll help. <laughs> it's a great tea. It is a great uh, relaxing tea. One of my favorites, chamomile. Yes, mm-hmm. mine too. But back to the writer's anxiety. So I saw this post. Um, I think it was a post or a caption or something to that effect. Um, But you were talking a little bit about writer's anxiety and writer's block and kind of um, why that may be happening. And I was like, let's just dive into that because I'm super interested in the fact that like you're not only in a writing mode now, but you're also wearing like the teacher hat and you're helping other people who are writers kind of step into their own and figure out um, who they are as a writer, what things they want to write about. Um, so I was really curious to talk to you about writer's Mm -hmm. anxiety. So before we kind of dive into like the why and how, but what is, or how would you describe writer's anxiety? Um, so I would describe it really just as a manifestation of fear, which I think is what anxiety is anyways, you know, like it's, it's a natural response to something that is threatening and, doesn't really matter if it the threat is actually real it's the body the mind the soul reacting to this thing um it's a fear response and it's what's kept us alive as human beings for literally eons so when it comes to writing which is a you know something that you have to do it's a verb 
it's a performance in some ways, it's something you're doing, this fear response can inhabit your ability to write. So sometimes that writer's anxiety may be something that is completely inner, that it's just a lot of judgment, a lot of worry, a lot of ruminating about, am I gonna get canceled? Is, am I good enough? Do I fit in with writers? Is my punctuation where it's supposed to be, right? And, and we all have these um, thoughts about writing and our creativity, but I think the difference with writer's anxiety is that it starts to, again, inhabit you actually writing with any sort of like freedom and intention. And then of course, again, it can translate from that inner experience to now you're unable to do the thing you want to do, which is to write, right? So you don't write that novel excerpt, you don't write your short story, you don't write the poem, you don't write the essay, and or you write it under so much, so much duress that you start to either hate writing or it always feels like this really tumultuous experience. So that's how I would just kind of in some words describe writer's anxiety. So what's the difference between writer's anxiety and writer's block? Is there a difference? Are they the same thing? Um, yeah. What's the difference between the two? Um, so I, I think that there's, first of all, I think that, that the definitions differ. Some people will, I think, use them interchangeably. Like when they're talking about writer's block, they're actually talking about um, writer's anxiety. I think it's very dependent on the writer themselves. For me personally, I think writer's block is like, you're just, you, you can't write. Like, you know, either like physically you can't write or, liter or it's just kind of really like there's, it's kind of like uh, when you're, you get some toothpaste and the toothpaste hardens and you can't get anything out anymore. You know, there's toothpaste in there, but it's just like gummed up. And so yeah. you're like squeezing and maybe it's like some Mondo, like cement <laughs> toothpaste. <laughs> That's like writer's block, except the toothpaste is like your creative energy and your writing and your words and your language. And that, that opening is, you know, you getting it out onto the paper, onto the computer screen and you can't get it out, right? So for me, what I see as a difference is that anxiety often leads to, to the block. So you're so worried, so preoccupied, so tense in the, the body that that is what closes up that opening and that channel. And now you're just full of all that energy. So it's like, you're mm -hmm. just, that energy has no place to actually go and express itself. Mm. When's, when do you feel like is the first time you experienced writer's anxiety? Um, I think the first time, I mean, I definitely have experienced it when I was like younger and wanting to be like really good and then seeing like what came out and be like, oh, this is not close to, you know, the people who I see as heroes. But when I really remember a time when I was like, like um, in kind of a, a closer memory was when I started to blog every week in, I think it was about, like I was already blogging and I was here and there and I always wanted to start a blog, but I, it would just, I, it was really hard for me to keep it going because I would get very disheartened by the lack of response. And I'd be like, okay, it's not good. So I would just stop and I would start again and then I would stop again. And I would always, it'd be like, oh, my pictures aren't good enough or my writing's not good enough. 
only two people are reading this. No one's reading this. And so I would stop. But for at this point in like 2015, I kind of made a decision, okay, I need to like actually do this thing. I want to grow a blog. But I would get super, super anxious every time I wrote to the point where um, I would feel like my shoulders would get tense and I would feel like kind of on edge and I would always be worrying about what I said and I'd always be thinking about how it could have been better. And I felt very like, just very caught in this loop of worry and rumination and fear. And then it was like affecting me physically to the point where I was at a certain point, I was like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Like this is, this is, I first of all have other projects and other things I need to do. I can't be in the state and be writing. So I, I stopped blogging for some time. Wow. How long did you stop blogging for? Um, I think a couple of months, if not a year. Yeah. I kind of just like realized I'm like, I can't, um, I just can't do it. I think it yeah. was like maybe six months or maybe like a year or so. Like I would have, to, and I had other, I was in an MFA program. So I had other things I actually needed to do that were like, had deadlines and people waiting yeah. on them. But I do look back, but that blog was very personal to me. And I just stopped doing it because it just, it just was way too stressful. Yeah. Wow. So what, after that break, what inspired you to kind of like, to get back into it? Was that just like you had more time because maybe the program that you were in wasn't as demanding at that time? Or did you, do you feel like the anxiety kind of lifted? Like, how did you get back into the flow? Um. So I think what I discovered two was that one I did have a lot of things I think what was contributing to that anxiety is that I was my system was already overwhelmed you know it's kind of like when you have all these programs going on a computer and nothing it's like you know that open one more program and this your your laptop is going to shut down you know it's gonna freeze yeah it's gonna freeze everything's gonna gonna be all weird right and you're gonna have to take it in to like the geek squad or whatever and get it fixed so I feel like me, I am the computer. I am, which sounds terrible, and it's very dystopian. I'm not a computer, I'm a person, but you know, it's high five. Like I, I was am very overloaded. <laughs> I get worried about that these days, you know. I'm very yeah. worried about our <laughs> that's another topic for another that's, another that's a whole other episode. Yeah, that's a different anxiety. <laughs> but um I felt very I could see that I had so much to do. And I was like, MFA and graduate programs can be very stressful on multiple like just multiple um, modes. So I think once I was out of the most stressful time of the grad program and I was much more confident in my voice and also much more realistic, I think like I was always, one big thing I think that really contributed to my anxiety is that I always was hoping that like one blog post would have this like big effect. Like maybe it'll go viral. Maybe I'll be be seen as a thought leader for this one thing. And that kind of pressure on a simple 500 word <laughs> blog post that I'm not going to extensively edit. I don't have a marketing team, you know, all these things I don't have and I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. So of course I felt super anxious. So I think as it started to lessen where I really had to really every single time say, it's really okay if no one reads this, like really. yeah. Like the world will not end if no one reads this. It's still, it can still be good. It can still be a great idea. Yeah. It can still be powerful writing, but it's really okay 
if it's not popular. I think that combined with having a less taxed system all contribute to me being able to write regularly again. Yeah. I'm not a writer, but I definitely understand just even like from running the podcast and trying to come up with like designs and, you know, topics for the podcast and like creating things for Instagram. Like I don't have a marketing team behind me. It's really just me and my husband does editing. So it's very much a two person team, but there was a, a long time, even from when Dominique and I were doing the podcast together. Uh, I feel like there was this, just this internal pressure of like, oh, we just need to, like, it has to be so perfect. Mm-hmm. That way when it goes out, maybe it'll catch. Mm-hmm. And it took me, I mean, even when Dominique stepped back, um, for anybody that's listening, Dominique was my co-host for a while. Her her businesses are booming. So she is, um, she stepped, oh, stepped away from the podcast. So she's a, uh, a supporter from afar now, but there, even when I was just doing it by myself, I felt like there was even more pressure to mm-hmm. like try to make the perfect thing that's going to interest everybody and like mm-hmm. catch and go viral. And I finally had to say, okay, put it out there. There's going to be like mistakes. There's going to be glitches. Things are going to happen. Um, maybe you're not, you don't have the capacity to make 10 posts to post a week and have it be the exact style that I want that I think is going to attract people. And I really had to like ask myself, what is like, what's my goal with the podcast? And that's just like to create conversation and put it out there. So Mm -hmm. if the marketing or like the promos that I create, if it's not coming out as much as something I can work on in the future, but I was getting so wrapped around like trying to get the perfect episode and trying to find the perfect highlight of the episode. Mm-hmm. And, and it just like stifled me to the mm-hmm. point where I was like, I can't, I need to take a break because, mm-hmm. and then I would go look at the numbers and like, nobody's really listening. Did they like the episode? And then I realized, okay, I can't shape this around other people. I just have to kind of let things happen and trust that I'm doing a good enough job creating conversations and, and just kind of like letting people, letting people run with the space. But yeah, I definitely, I, I don't have writer's anxiety, but I definitely get anxiety about mm-hmm. more anxiety. Lord knows I don't need more anxiety, Yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can understand that. But um, I think as of recently, like the past couple months, I can feel that thought keep, it keeps creeping back into my head. Mm-hmm. Like, are you doing enough? Like mm-hmm. more people are listening. You should do more. Mm-hmm. Not, and I want to do more, but it's like, you should do more. And then maybe more people will, will mm-hmm. like it Yeah. when that's not how I got to this point. So mm. yeah, I, I feel you there. Yeah. Um. So what tools do you give to your, so let me roll that back. So Hannah, if you, if you heard me earlier, she is a, a teacher. And so tell us about, Tell us about that. Tell us about who who your students are and mm-hmm. like what your classes look like, all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah, so I've been teaching for, you know, um, the better part of a decade now. Um, and so I am transitioning more to doing coaching so that like, coaching is a little bit more performative based, meaning like there's some transformation you desire 
and I am the trusted expert who is going to give you that transformation so that you can go on and go forth and do the thing that you want to do. So for me, what I was seeing is that a lot of, um, especially, and I, you know, will pointedly say Black women um, are under-supported and um, I think honestly are kind of creating under their full potential. And, you know, it's of course like a personal story that I can attest to as a Black woman writer who really left like the entire world that she knew to go for this pretty <laughs> intense dream of being a writer. <clears throat> and so I was, you know, now that I am, I, what I, how many years has it been now? It's been six years since I left the Coast Guard to go write, to go write, but I've been on this ind independent emerging writing path for like 13 years. And so I have gained some very beautiful things in my life. Um, and when I was going back, it's very easy to like forget about that, but I was realizing that this could be something I help others to do that and to accelerate their connection to doing these things um, with way much more, way more intention, not as, not, not as many dark nights as the soul that I had, yeah. right? And so with anxiety, um, I think one of the biggest lessons I've received again and again is not to see it as an enemy, not to see anxiety as something you need to overcome, to actually see it as a messenger and to see it as a friend. And this is especially important for sensitive, empathetic um, people, uh, people who have experienced traumatic episodes in their childhood or even during their adulthood, which makes it harder. You know, it's going to make certain things harder for you to do. And creating writing is a very vulnerable act, right? You're literally, like creation is one of the most vulnerable acts ever. It's also one of the most powerful acts. You know, there's an expression that only you can put in the world and you do it, right? But you are also opening yourself up to a lot of attention, a lot of high and low experience of success and rejection. And so what I do with the writers I work with is really preparing them to be with that, with that uh, movement and also to really look at um, their own system as a friend because all of us experience anxiety in different ways and move with it. Some of us become emotional eaters. Some of us stop writing. Some of us drink a lot. Some of us smoke too much. Some of us um, become destructive in all kinds of ways, right? So it's to really identify like, what do you want to do as a writer? Who are you? Like being very honest, if you have, if you are more susceptible to anxiety, not seeing it as a source of shame, but seeing it actually as your power. Because if you're susceptible to um, anxiety, you're probably also susceptible to being a very perceptive person. You're also more susceptible to being sensitive. You're also more likely to be imaginative because we not imagine, you know, there's no more, more, more minds that are more imaginative than an anxious mind, right? So, yes. you know, it's like using it as like an ally as opposed to your enemy. And so we're going to really look at how it's manifest in your life and then create a strategic plan to work with it, to get to the, your goals um, with way more intention 
and way more impact. So that's kind of what I do with every person that I work with. I like that. That's, that's awesome. And I, I feel like that's probably something I never thought a writer would need. And I wonder how many people that are, are listening as writers have ever even thought about mm-hmm. anxiety being a part of their writing experience. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like anxiety, even when I talk about it, it's very, it's a, it's very much a general thing of like anxiety is in my life. Um, not necessarily like how it affects a particular hobby that I'm pursuing or a passion that I'm pursuing or my career. It's kind of like this all encompassing umbrella of shakiness. <laughs> yes. But, and it, that's the thing too. It's like most of us, it's not, it'd be awesome if the, if writing was the only place I felt anxiety, but absolutely not. Right. I'm feeling anxiety when I go on a date. I'm feeling anxiety when I'm at a store and um, someone's behind me and I'm not bagging my groceries fast enough. And my, you know, all these weird little things that you start to have this experience um, with. And so, but those of us who are writers, who are creative, who are artists, we, I think, have to um, really learn how to work with this energy or it's going to work you. It's like, even yeah. it's one or the other. So it's like, whichever one you prefer. Right. It's going to be there either way. So you might as yeah. well figure out how to work with it. Mm-hmm. I love that. What's uh, what's just one singular way that writer's anxiety shows up in your life and, and maybe like a physical manifestation um, or um, even or even mental just one thing that mm-hmm. you know happens and then you're like okay I I get the message like I feel the anxiety coming in whatever the capacity it comes in so I think a common one for me and I think a common one that a lot of writers go through is the fear of what other people think because mm-hmm. it's the ultimate unruly out of control aspect right? I can't I cannot control how other people receive my work. And in our day and age with how quickly things are transmitted and transmuted and how quickly, you know, how public we are, sometimes there is a lot of fear. So I'll I'll start to, I'll write something, I'll be writing something and immediately I'll think of someone who I know is going to hate it. (laughs) You know, I don't know why that person always pops in my mind, but it's always someone who I know would roll their eyes or whatever I'm writing at or wouldn't think it's good enough. And I'll be thinking of them. And of course, because that's the energy I'm bringing into the writing space, that's when I start to over-explain and hold back and get very perfectionistic because I have to prove to this phantom in my mind um, (laughs) that I'm doing okay. So now when that happens to me, it's to first of all say, this is actually, this is perfect. What my anxiety is doing is it's trying to prepare me. So it's bringing up the worst case scenario. So if I'm writing something very vulnerable about, um, you know, anxiety, for example, and immediately I think of my one auntie who doesn't even think anxiety is real, you know, who's always like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not, this is, this is, uh, you're just making things up, you're spoiled, blah, blah, blah. Well, now I'm like, oh, thank you, consciousness. You know, you're trying to almost prepare me for battle, right? But mm-hmm. then I have to also now remind myself that that auntie, is not my audience. She's my relative, but she's not who I'm creating this for, is it? it? So then I have to now change my mindset to, well, I'm not creating it for my auntie who I love and I appreciate. I'm creating it for, you know, maybe I'm thinking maybe it's in that time it's myself. 
maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone who I don't even know, but I'm like, okay, I'm actually creating this for the person who is experiencing anxiety, feeling shame about it. And I want to help them to realize that they're okay, that they don't have to feel shame for feeling anxiety. So if I think of that person as I'm writing, then I'm going to create something very different. I'm going to have a very different relationship to that piece of writing and to how it goes out in the world, right? I'm going to, I won't be as, um, you know, obsessive about it. And I won't be having to prove myself because I'm now determined that person I thought of, that auntie, the judging auntie is not, she's not my audience, right? Mm. Whereas before I would just be, that person would be in my mind. I'd be thinking, this is what she would probably say about it. And da, da, da. No, it doesn't matter. It's like it, that now fades and it's a practice, but that's something that um, I notice that I do. I think it's a very common thing that a lot of uh, writers, artists, and creators do. So that's a manifestation of anxiety. And then that's a way to bring a bridge to writing with more intention and more ease. Mm, I love that. I love that. So that, man, going back to, to your students, and, and I know you said you're focusing on coaching now. If somebody's listening, um, do they have to be a published writer to work with you? Do like at what point, like what range in like the mm-hmm. spectrum of what makes people a writer? So from like, mm-hmm. I don't know the spectrum of writers, but like yeah. not, like the, the amateur writer, mm-hmm. the person that's published a bunch of books to the person that's like got a day job and wants to do it on the side, but may potentially make it a career. Like, is there a certain demographic that you're, mm-hmm. that you're aiming for aside from like women weed wine that that one so for writers that i work with i feel that my expertise is perfect for emerging writers now there are many definitions for emerging writers and that's again we have to you know there's so many definitions for everything so we have to decide like what the working definition is so my working definition of an emerging writer is someone who has had some experience in the literary world, either fiction and nonfiction, because that's what I write. I would not be the best person probably to work with poetry because that's not my skill set. I could, but I'm much better with working with prose writers. So emerging writers, really what that means, like there's a writer, Tobias Wolf, who says that basically emerging writer is someone who, I'm paraphrasing, who is not famous enough to just like have things like published, you know, Mm. has to still submit and go through all those channels. Um, Sometimes it's people who haven't written a book, but there are also places where people say you could be an emerging writer who has one or two books. I'm going to say I'm right in the middle. You can probably have one book or no book. Um, I would say that you've been at this writing like you've been moving through the writing world for at least two years. So you're someone who you've at least attended like one to two writing workshops. You read a lot, like you read very widely. And you're someone who um, has maybe even submitted stories. So I'm not gonna be the perfect coach for someone who's like just starting out of the gate with writing. I'm not gonna be a great coach for you. But for someone who's been in that world and maybe still feels kind of um, 
uncertain about their footing, then I'm a great coach for you. And for some writers, the whole idea about like calling yourself a writer, there's a lot that people will say about that, but I always look back to, there's a snippet in this Toni Morrison documentary, um, I think it's like Pieces of Me, where I think she talks about struggling to call herself a writer until like Song of Solomon, you know? And I'm like, wow. girl, you you already know wrote like the bluest eye in Sula. Yeah. And you still had issues calling it. And that was like wild to me, right? Because I'm like, I'm calling myself a writer. Like, right? I also <laughs> didn't immediately do that. I went to a oh. Juno Diaz reading in like 2009, 2010. And I remember when he asked, who's a writer in here? And I didn't raise my hand, even though I had written, I literally had written like a elective thesis at my school. I just didn't feel like I could. Three, five years later from that moment, I did. I felt like I'd put mm. in the work to say I'm a writer. Not everyone has that. Some people say, hey, you write, you're a writer. And I'll say, yes, you you are a writer. But I also, because one thing I am is honest, there's such a thing as being like, are you like a good writer? Are you someone who wants to be a good writer? Or are you just someone who writes? And I think a good mm. writer is someone who also believes in revision. If you don't believe in revision, I don't think you're really a writer, in my opinion. Right. You know, if you're not going to go over your work and try to craft it to an art, then like you're a writer, but you're not a good, in my opinion, you're not a good one. So right. if you're going to work with me, you need to be someone who wants to turn whatever you're writing into an art, into your art. You know, I'm not saying there's just one way to do it, but you have to be very committed that this is a process, this is an art form, and it's not just going to be all sunshine and endless creation all the time. You know, mm. you are gonna have to work. <laughs> it's, it's that, it's like reminding me of like when you see a video of somebody like and they have a big block of stone and they're just like slowly chipping away. And I feel like maybe a writer is like somebody who's like chipped for like a week or maybe a month. And they're like, this is great. I love this, I'm gonna put it out. And what you're describing seems to be somebody that over time continues to like chip mm -hmm. away and step back and then chip away some more and turn it around and step back and just continue that process. Like you said, yes. just to refine, not necessarily to please others, but to a refine a refinement of their own art. Yes, that is a perfect way. And I love the metaphor of the sculptor where I think, you know, there's a quote by is it Michelangelo where, you know, he said that basically he just took that stone and he sculpted until he got to um David the statue right. like right he had to keep doing that and again like you said had to step back had to step at this angle had to maybe take even take a break right because that's also yeah. part of revision sometimes revision is leave that alone put it in a drawer somewhere and walk away you know yeah. because you need fresh eyes to be able to judge your work with um any sort of like calm to actually now move into its next evolution. So really it's a developmental aspect. You're getting better and better at your own art. Um, and that's what I would, th those are the people who I want to work with. Like I don't do well with the, I just wanna do, I'm like, there's a coach for you. <laughs> there's someone for you. It's not me. <laughs> who just wants to do that creation thing. That's, that's perfect. Not for me. We would not yeah. do well together. You would be resentful of me. I would detest you. It wouldn't be well. So it would not be great. No, not a great experience. Not. I gotta know. It's like dating. It's like, are we a good yeah. match? Can we really yeah. 
there going to be a transformation that we both want? There isn't? Okay, so then we're not good for each other. Oh, I love that. That's a, that's deep. Do you have anxiety with dating? Um, sometimes, but I think when I view it as these are complete strangers, <laughs> you know, mm. and that takes all the pressure that there's really no, like, I think before when it's like, okay, this has to happen. And it has to happen in this way with this person. Well, that's a lot of pressure to put on a complete stranger that I met off of Tinder, right? But if I take it as like, everyone's kind of my practice, practice about what I like, practice about what I do not like, and I'm here to have fun, that has, makes it a lot better. And I get, you know, you can almost get better at dating. I get better at like, oh, I now know if someone says that thing, probably not a great match for me, right? <laughs> if they say that on the first date, like for me personally, like we can go back to the tall thing. If someone makes a big deal about me being tall on the first date, if it's just like a major point of like conversation yeah. to the to the detriment of the other things about me, 99.99% of the time, we are not a great match because yeah. you are too obsessed about this thing and it's a big part of me, but it's not the only part. So we're just not going to be a good match with each other. You need to find yeah. a part, a, a tall woman who all she wants to talk about is how tall she is. She'd yeah. be perfect for you, you know, but yeah. that's not me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think side note, note in my head, we should do an, an episode about dating with anxiety. We should. As a tall woman mm. with anxiety, I have even more niche. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, super niche. Yes, you do anxiety, but it's oh. like dating as a tall woman in this world, and, and honestly, as a tall black woman. I mean, sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's also like people can be very strange. You know? Yes, very, I have heard weird. stories. Yeah. I have. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if people know this, but I am married. I've been married for like a really long time five years almost five years but i've been with my husband for like almost nine years wow. so my knowledge of dating is strictly from like my friends telling me stories which i really enjoy but i also kind of sit back and like this world seems very overwhelming like i feel like the way things are now like i have never been on a dating app and I feel like I would be so lost <laughs> if I were to be thrown yeah. out there tomorrow. Like It's like the Wild West. Out. No, you really do yeah. have to go in there with intention. And once, I mean, also like side note, I actually got banned from Tinder. No idea why. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I can you never. You're joking. Yeah, I was banned from Tinder. So, and it sounds cute and like dangerous, but no, it's like, I have no idea why that happened. Um but oh I will say that I've learned so much, like so many things. And I felt like I've cobbled together things for people. Because, you know, I, I'll try, I'm very experimental, very experimental in my work, very experimental in my life. I'll try things, you know, I'll try it out. Someone gives me this advice, as long as it's not bogus, like I'll try it. Some yeah. things really don't work, for, <laughs> did not work for me. But some things do, like, one thing that really works and, you know, people, again, you could take this experiment and decide like, will it work for me is I have learned that if, and I'm, I do date mostly men, actually I've only really dated men, but if a man asks for your number on a dating app, 
Do not give it to him. Tell him mm. that you will give him your number um, at the date. But if you would like, he can have your email and he can even follow you on Instagram. Now, what does that do, right? What that does is it's a boundary. What they want is access, right? And most of us are trained, especially as women, to be pleasing and say, yeah, of course. Yeah. Now you have this texting buddy who texts, texts you like WYD and doesn't ask you for a date. So what that does is it really, if you are date, see, if you want like a pen pal, then go ahead, give your number up. But if you want someone to go on a date with, what this does is now this person will have to be serious. I'll have to step up like, okay, cool. Let's go for a drink date. And then I can get your number then. Because then, then you can see, do I actually want to give this complete stranger mm-hmm. who I don't my know <laughs> my number and my time? And you'll yeah. see if, if he's serious. Because I've had it go both ways. I've had men do the thing where they get like all friend, like just want your number. And I'm like, nowhere in there did you ever ask me for a date though. So this person doesn't want to date me. Mm-hmm. They just want access. Now, most men who actually want to date you will say, sure thing. And even better, some men won't even ask for your number because they can easily communicate through the app and they'll ask mm-hmm. for your number after the date. So it sets you up for a boundary. You're a little bit more in control, which makes you feel less anxious. And now you haven't given your number to a potential stalker. So it's like a win-win situation. Win-win at all. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's so a really I, good advice. I learned that from this dating coach. I didn't like, like everything she said, but that one has been chef's kiss, you know, and I practiced it for myself. And then it's also interesting because if that person then gets your Instagram or your TikTok or whatever, I don't know, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I got on it on occasion, but if they get your like social media and they follow you, it's like, yeah, they just wanted to, not to be bros, but it's like, they just wanted to have you in that space. They want to like look at you Mm. and like your pictures, but they don't want to date you. And now I know. I'm like, you don't want to date me. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, on to the next. <laughs> you have just now opened up so much of your time. So I think, yeah. especially for younger women, for all women, but definitely for young women, if you're like getting into the dating game, perfecting that skill, very, very helpful. That is wise advice. I feel like I need to put that out on a clip because. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's interesting from the from the other perspective of the people that are pursuing you, the different levels of access that are that people ask for mm-hmm. in that in that exchange of like mm-hmm. I find it very odd that somebody would be on a dating app and then ask you for your number and then not ask you out. Oh, it's like all that's that's like fifty uh, percent of them. Fifty percent of them oh, are look wow. loose. They're just, they're just there to look and to get like, because they want your attention, right? They want you to be texting Mm. them back and to be worried about the whole thing, but you don't have to. They And then again, there's someone out there who will gladly give up their number. It just won't be you, (laughs) you know? Mm. It just won't be you. There's someone out there who'll find somebody. What is the fulfillment of just texting somebody and not... I guess that's probably where, like you said, where certain people are in what mm-hmm. they want. Yeah. So if that's what you want and you just want somebody to text and it never really goes forward to anything else or you just want somebody to look at, 
Ooh, it's it's yeah. it seems exhausting. I feel like yeah, a lot exhausting. of this, yeah. yeah, can be if you were to meet somebody, and this is like, I'm not saying everybody should do this, but I'm just saying, if it was me now, in 2022, I would much prefer to like meet my husband in person mm-hmm. rather than through a screen. And I say that because I know, even. I could not imagine me showing up to somebody to a date with somebody and as 6'3 like chocolate Mm -hmm. with locks I probably have on heels so I'm probably like 6'5 6'6 at the time like I'm gonna throw you off and if you're not quite (laughs) we're not ready for it you know that can be and I feel like for those of us again who do and I, I hate to say like as if we're like we're still women and people but yeah our world is very stuck in this very narrow idea of beauty. what womanhood looks like what beauty looks yeah. like blah 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 so yeah like why would I want to waste and in, in, in not even waste like misuse my time I could use my time better and it's not like I'm not saying you need to take me to the fanciest restaurant in Beverly Hills we could literally go for a drink date <laughs> somewhere you know, and decide. And at that point, we might decide like, oh, like we don't have any kind of chemistry. So, okay, cool. We had a drink. We had a great conversation. And then you part ways. You're like, all right, we had a little fun. As opposed to you're texting this guy, you're kind of like hoping he asks you out. Maybe you're hinting at it. Finally, you do. You take, you you agree to meet at Starbucks, which was what you really wanted anyways. You get there and you're completely turned off. And now that's that's three months of your life. Ooh. You know? You don't have to do that's that. That's a way to frame it. That is a way to frame it. That is a, a chunk of your yeah. existence. You could have used that for someone else. There might be someone yeah, else. for yourself. Yeah, for yourself. <laughs> so it'd be someone who would and I see and I also see that like I'm not saying that um every single person I've gone out with, like it's been roses, you know? Absolutely not. But what I do see is that. There's such a difference when a person just really wants to, when, when they immediately are like, let's go on a date, you know, and like a real date, like, let's go to dinner, let's go get drinks, let's go to this this thing. World of difference, because that means yeah. that the desire is there, your desire is there, and now you can meet equally, as opposed mm-hmm. to if that's not there, you're kind of dragging this person who doesn't, who just wants to look at you on Instagram. And yeah. now it's like, great, got a little follower, you know? Yeah, like, oh, I have 5,000 followers yeah. now. I'm like, I, guess I have gone that. three dates. <laughs> yeah, because it's just, yeah. um, people can be, um, and I think a lot of times for these, for the people who are doing that, sometimes it's laziness, but a lot of times it's fear. But they try to put mm-hmm. it on your court. They're scared, they're, they might be anxious too. You know, but that's maybe the majority of anxiety is on that person's side that has that is more of like a texter or like an avid like IG follower. Maybe there's a different type of anxiety on the other Mm -hmm. side that stops them from ever moving forward. Yep. But is that you're not a therapist, you're here to date. So, um, (laughs) you know, they can go talk with their counselor or their therapist about that. You, yeah. on the other hand, are here to have fun and go on dates and decide who is, you know, um, who, you know, who you connect with, 
who you like yeah. and who likes you, right? You're not here to figure out someone's stuff because you're probably also nervous, right? It's nerve wracking yeah. sometimes dating. So they'll be okay. <laughs> they'll figure it out. But can you, okay, I have a question. So if, if you go on and let's say you go on a date with somebody, you guys don't click, but at least you had a good conversation. Is that mm-hmm. a successful date in your mind? I think so. Like yeah. I remember some, this guy recently, another thing I've done. And again, cause I've made the mistake. I've given my number out and I've also had the man call and interview me and I feel it. I'm like, they're just asking Ooh. me question after question. And then usually I think it's rich men who want to see like, are you there to like steal my money? And I'm like, I'm oh, not gosh. a baby. No. But what <laughs> I'm not a child. Said, I'm not a child, you know, I'm an, I'm an adult, but I think what I can see in that is like one guy said, oh, I don't, I just think we should call because I don't want to waste my time. Like, what about this is weird? And I thought that's so interesting because I don't think meeting new people is a waste of time. I, you know, I was like, I can go on a date with somebody and I might get there and immediately be like, oh, <laughs> absolutely like, not. Like, hell no. <laughs> no. You know, the vibe is off. I don't even feel like good in your presence or you don't, like there's something we- weird going on on your end. And what, you know, it's like, okay, I can now meet for an hour. I can decide I have a limit and just be like, you know what? It's been really fun um, and move on. And then you have a standard text message that you send afterwards, like, if they ask you on another day and it can be like, you know, I really had a great time, but I'm just really not feeling the connection. And what you've gained is you've gained practice with dating. So I do think dating is a practice. You've gotten, you know, you were able to get out and get dressed up, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you had conversation, you might've learned something, right? Like I've had many like one date, you know, times and, I've learned things like I've learned new books. I've learned about movements. I've learned about new bars that I got to sample just because I met this person for an hour or two. And no, it wasn't successful Successful that I didn't end up being a Disney movie, but I think it, got, it gave me more comfort. And for those of us who were kind of anxious, that could be really key just to kind of get used to it. Because if you're not giving yourself that practice, then every date feels like a make or break thing very much like creativity if you're not giving yourself some practice about writing you sit down to a blank page and it feels like all or nothing whereas now it's like okay i'm giving myself more room and there's there's no expectations because again this is a complete stranger you don't know them from anything (laughs) like you know like you really don't and they don't know you so it's just practice like fun practice and I would consider it a successful date, even if it doesn't go further than that one day. Yeah. Oh, super interesting. Um, I could probably ask you a million and one questions <laughs> about dating with anxiety mm-hmm. and probably just dating in general, but I'm going to go into our mind game segment. So okay. the mind game segment is something I recently started earlier this year. Basically this segment of the pod of the episode, I am going to describe a mental health syndrome. At the end, um, you can guess, listeners, you can guess if you're on Spotify, you can pop in your answer in the uh, in the little question. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just going to basically read through uh, the the definition of a syndrome okay. of a mental health disorder and then give it a couple minutes, maybe not a couple minutes, maybe like 30 seconds. And then we're going to guess to see what it is. Okay. So you do ready? I guess or do we both guess or... Um, you can guess. I'll okay. give the listeners like a couple seconds, so don't like automatically blurt out. Okay, the answer. okay, okay. <laughs> Just in case you know. I love trivia, so I was like, oh, I was like gunning. Okay, okay I will not. You might know this if you like trivia. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Mind game segment. So, this syndrome describes a set of symptoms with uh with alteration of body image. An alteration of visual perception is found in the way that the sizes of the body parts or sizes of external objects are perceived incorrectly. The most common perceptions are at night. Uh, The causes for the syndrome are still not known. Typical migraine, temporal lobe epilepsy, brain tumors, psychoactive, sorry, psychoactive drugs, uh, Epstein-Barr virus infections, are causes of this syndrome, uh, potential causes, it seems. Uh, this has no proven or effective treatment. The treatment plan consists of migraine prophylaxis and migraine diet. Never heard of those things. Um, it is a rare condition and it can affect, <clears throat> excuse me, multiple senses, including vision, touch, and hearing. You can also lose a sense of time. Time may seem to be passing faster or slower than you think. Um, these are seem to be caused in a way in how your brain perceives the environment that you're in and how your body looks. These episodes aren't the result of a problem with your eyes or uh, hallucination. Do you want to take a guess? You know, at first I thought, I was like, totally know it. Now I'm like, actually, <laughs> I, at first my guess was like, Oh, what's it called? But I don't I don't think this is a syndrome. So I was thinking, I was like, it's a it's at least I think what it's labeled as it's like a disorder. Mm-hmm. It was body dysmorphic disorder, but I don't think that's it. Because I think the way that you described it, I was like, no, I don't I don't think that's it. So So it's not body dysmorphic disorder. It seems mm-hmm. like in that first part mm-hmm. of the description, it definitely gives some body dysmorphic similarities. Um, I'm going to give our listeners a couple more seconds, about 20 more seconds to guess. Like I said, if you're listening on Spotify, go ahead and uh, go to, it'll probably be on the poll and just click your answer um, or type in your answer to the question. If you get it right, I'll pin your answer. Um, I'll give you about 15 more seconds while you're guessing or possibly Googling. I don't know. (laughs) Um, if you're not following Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, give us a follow on Bullhorn. So Bullhorn is basically a podcast live streaming uh, website or application. So you can download the Bullhorn app. You can go to bullhorn.fm. That's B as in boy, U-L-L-H-O-R-N.fm. The link will be in the description. I will be doing live streamed episodes. We've already done a couple. I'm going to promote them a little bit more. Um, so if you go into Bullhorn, give us a follow, type in Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 in the search bar, follow us. You will be notified anytime I schedule a live episode, and you'll also be notified 
once we actually do go live. So I don't do too many IG lives. I think I've done like one or two, um, but this is a really cool way for you to get notified directly. You can actually, uh, it's, I think it's better than Instagram and YouTube and all that uh, for a few different reasons. So not only do you get to chat uh, with other listeners and with us, my host and whoever the guest happens to be, um, you also get to put in questions. So if you submit a question, I can pop it up on the screen and we can kind of talk through it. Um, the coolest feature is actually the call-in feature. So you can actually call into the episode and join us via video or just via audio. Um, we've done that a couple of times. I've had some of my friends pop in and um, ask a couple of questions to the person that may be the guest at the time, but it's really interactive. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, we're going to be doing more live stream episodes um, which I'm really excited for to actually meet some of the people that are listening to the pod um, and also just be able to create some connection between like the guests and the listeners. So kind of take down that wall, that like headphone wall, and then you can actually see people. But yeah, go to Bullhorn, give us a follow, tune into the next live stream episode. Now to get back to the syndrome, if you've got your guesses, the let, let's see if you got the right guess. The syndrome for the mind game segment is called Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Oh. Yes. Okay. It's, I actually have heard of it. Really? Mm-hmm. I never heard of it until I looked it up. I was like, what am I going to do this episode? Let me look for the most like rare mental health disorder that there is. And this is like the first thing that popped up. Mm-hmm. And I saw some pictures. Maybe I'll make a post about it. But I saw some pictures where it's kind of like, people's arms look really long or like their necks look really stretched out. Almost like life looks like a video game. Like heads look really big or maybe they look really small. Woo. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it does. Or it could be really fun. (laughs) I guess you'd have to make it fun for yourself. Otherwise it'd probably be terrifying. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if people that draw caricatures see people like that. Yeah, that would be interesting. And then they all have it, and they all meet, and they like bond. They're like, whoa! <laughs> I see that too. Yeah, that <laughs> perception is so. Um, and I know that we're going to make so many leaps about how we perceive our realities. I mean, we they say you know you don't see the world as it is; you see the world as you are. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine the kind of depths we're going to get with that, and especially with social media and like virtual reality. So yeah. yeah. How, how do you? What's the, what's the first thing you feel about when you when people say virtual reality? I mean, you know, I was, I was reading an interview by. I've been reading a lot of interviews by Octavia Butler. I like to read like <gasps> all her interviews. Hold on, time out. I'm gonna yeah. interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Somebody posted something. Uh, this this girl I follow on TikTok, she does like these little videos, but they're really good. I can't remember her name, but she was like, "You should read if you want to know more about this." And I think she was talking about the relation between like where we are now as a society and like when writers have written things in the past that now relate. Mm-hmm. And she brought up <clears throat> Octavia Butler, and she brought up Parable of the Sour. Mm-hmm. So I'm on like page 20 and I just ordered yeah. it on Monday. So interesting. I feel like I was supposed to mm-hmm. order that because this is the second time 
this week. Now I'm hearing about her. So sorry to interrupt you. She's an amazing, (laughs) amazing woman. But you know, what's very interesting about Octavia Butler is in a lot of her interviews, she always says that I'm not trying to be prescient. I'm not trying to uh, foretell the future. She's like, I hope that none of these things happen actually. But Mm -hmm. she says, following the trajectory of what's happening now, you keep going through that, which is what a lot of science fiction and fantasy writers do, right? Um, but it's also weird because we're creating this, you know? So mm. it's like an active creation of dystopia. That's what I always find very intriguing. With virtual reality, I think the thing that frightens me is the trends I'm seeing with just the lack of empathy and the yeah. disconnection from real, like, reality. So an example of this, and I know people would be, you know, I might get in trouble for this, but okay. So, you know, I'm a millennial, but I see these, like those lashes, man, right? Those like Bambi on acid and steroids lashes. Now in reality, it looks wild, right? It's like when I do burlesque and I do, if I do like a full face, because they always say you want to have a face that someone in the back nosebleeds is like, I see everything, right? But if I were to walk around in my day-to-day, people are like, whoa, <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. It's a big wig. It's a lot of makeup. But then I thought, these eyelashes are so wild. And I'm thinking, but you know what? Behind a screen, there's a filter, right? Everything mm-hmm. is always muted and there's a distance when you are not really like connected to your body. And I yeah. was thinking like, Here we are in this pandemic. Many of us have been forced to relate to each other through um, a screen, right? We're all all on the Zoom land now. And so we've had to literally adjust our settings so that we we are communicating things, right? Like we we put our, we blur our background or we sit in a certain way, we sit behind and have a bookshelf. We've got the ring light and I'm like- Yeah, we have the ring ring light right now, right? But then, you know, and then you, Maybe if you're talking in these videos, you have these wild lashes. Yeah. But that's, if I were to come into your space, I might see some dirty laundry in the corner. Yeah, I might see that you're not even wearing pants, right? <laughs> I might see all kinds <laughs> of things, right? Because yeah. you're presenting this thing to me. But I think as we get more adept at being able to create these artificial worlds, mm-hmm. I think that that can be very dangerous because in my opinion i do not think human beings have evolved to the level of our technology yet Ooh, i think yes. we need we need like 300 years you know before we're like a solid we, 300 yeah, 300 years like, before we can maybe 350 it. yeah a buck yeah. like you know just at least the very least like a buck 50 but like real yeah. realistic we need like 350 years yeah. but we're getting this like these very bombardment intense- of technology and I just thought, oh, people are already being really controlled by alternative, now we have alternative facts, right? Yeah. We're getting every other day I go on Instagram, someone's trying to scam me. I don't know Mm -hmm. who's real, (laughs) who's the real person. I don't add any new friends on my private page. I'm not adding you because I don't know who you are. Like I probably added two new people in the past six months. Yeah. I don't add any because I'm just like, 
you about to come in and try to like get me to sign up and go to somebody else's page and like this and like message them to be an ambassador. Nah. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. And I think about that all the time. I feel like when we hit the dial-up point, <laughs> like the early two, what is that? Early 2000s, we had dial-up and you had to wait 20 minutes for your computer to turn on and you mm-hmm. couldn't be on the phone while you were also on your computer and it's probably the one one computer in the entire house so you Mm -hmm. didn't spend all your time on it and if you did you're probably on limewire or like in the chat room for backstreet boys or something (laughs) like i was but there was only so much of your attention that was being pulled in different Mm -hmm. directions and i still felt like that at that point it was really manageable And it wasn't as accessible. Like you had AIM, you had your music, you made some mixtape CDs, you know, you took them to school and you wrote your paper and then you forgot to save it and had to rewrite it again. (laughs) You know? And now I feel like it's just coming a mile a minute. And even sometimes I feel like I cannot, I don't want to keep up, but and sometimes I'm like, damn, I'm tired. Like, I don't know how my mom did this, but I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, if and when I have kids, like, oh, how am I going to manage emails, notifications? Um, I got to talk to Alexa to turn my lights on now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to talk to my car soon. It's like things, technology has made things easier, um, but it's also like, made things really small so instead of me doing like five big things in one day i have to do 300 so i've got to like answer an instagram message i've got to answer an email and then i've got to answer a text message then i gotta answer another text message then i gotta go to like tiktok and answer and in the meantime i've watched 16 videos on instagram then i've watched 30 tiktoks they all have nothing to do with each other. And it's just like, bam, 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 like mm-hmm. constant barrage of information. Mm-hmm. Like I got it this morning and I try not to do this, but I did it. And I got on Instagram and I went through like four videos and I was like, I don't even know what this is. Like, mm-hmm. this is, what am I even looking? This has nothing mm-hmm. to do with But it's there in your I- consciousness now, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I just, and the, the human brain processes image, I think 6,000 times faster than words, yes. right? So it forces you to move into a speed that might not be sustainable to the healthy development of your perception over time. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, you know, I have an Aquarius, I have an Aquarius rising, so I can go to conspiracy theories very quickly. <laughs> like, yeah. I need to the like but I really do I just think you know and I also just like trust my gut and I'm like well yeah I think that uh that not to be because I I don't think again with anxiety and fear that usually does not always help help um, we don't always make the best decisions out of like that place so I think it's being very mindful like okay how do I feel after I do these things you know, do I feel yeah. great? I mean, because I guess if you do, then hey. But if you feel scattered, if you feel worried, if you feel on edge, if you feel ashamed, if you feel like you immediately get brought into a chronic comparison 
of your reality based on the very, very manipulated reality of another person, um, then, you know, those are things to look at because in my opinion, it's purposeful. And I know that because as an artist, you know, we are the grand manipulators. We create conditions to move you towards a certain goal, right? And you won't, you don't have, if, if you're a good artist, the beautiful thing is that you'll have multiple feelings. But I think in this realm, it isn't to, for you to have multiple feelings. I think what you, what people are feeling, they should really clue into that and to realize also you're not alone and what kind of reality are we creating with those feelings embedded into them? Mm. Lots to think about, lots yeah. to think about. <laughs> yeah. I am, um, I'm glad I'm not the only one that is, uh, constantly ruminating about like where we'll be in 20, 30 years. I will say, and then, and then we can like move on, but I will say that I miss like human interaction, even as a shy person, I miss the, the, when you go somewhere and like, I just feel like there's a lot of everybody's on their phones. Mm-hmm. Like, majority of, of the time and I try to make a conscious decision like especially when I'm out with my friends or like with my husband with whoever family I try to put my phone away like literally where I can't see it and then I feel like I'm less likely to feel like just to do just to check like what the hell am I checking what I want is here but like I've gone places and like been I just remember going to stuff like music festivals when I was like really little. My mom would take us to like reggae festivals and the jazz festival. And even though I wasn't super talkative, I feel like there was always like all this interaction going on. Mm -hmm. You know, you're waiting in line to get food. You're not on your phone because, so what do you do when you're not on on your phone? You start a conversation with the next person in line. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you start a conversation with the person behind you. And then when you get there, well, you, now you're talking to the person that's like ringing you up and asking Mm -hmm. them, even if you're not the most outgoing person, I feel like some of these things, and it's not always about being that person in the interaction. It's like, I would be like the little kid that's not saying anything that's listening and learning from these interactions and learning from like, you go sit down on the grass and people are talking and you know, people are interacting and like kids are playing with toys. <laughs> I feel like, mm-hmm. am I old? Like, no, am I old? you're just like, a I'm human. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> what I prefer. Like, mm-hmm. I miss that. And yeah, I just, and I'm not going to say I don't do it too, because I'm sure I, I do. But I miss when like people's heads weren't down all the time mm-hmm. looking for this interaction in the palm of their hand mm-hmm. when we are here like but there's where more control. We went there's more there is more control there's more control than what how you present there's more control mm-hmm. of what the, what you can take in mm-hmm. but i think with that control comes a sense of like a little sense of loneliness mm-hmm. and also a lot of like you were saying a lot of pressure to either conform or this pressure to like fade into the background because conforming and performing is just too heavy and you just don't or you have no desire to perform Mm -hmm. and conform so then where do you fit you know 
my mind goes down these rabbit holes no. often if you yeah. can't tell. And it's just like, sometimes I just wish, I, I, I will say this, I really cherish being around friends and family and the time that we are really interactive and we are talking to each other and it's like conversations going and we can go for a walk and, you know, we're talking to each other and I really enjoy that. Like I love my podcasts and stuff like that. I love going for a walk and listening to random podcasts and random music and all that. But I love like being in a car on a road trip and you're not on your phone because like your phone's about to die. Mm -hmm. So now you got to talk and, you know, listen to different music and, I, I I crave that more than I think I ever have in life. That makes sense. I think we, I think, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is the grand, maybe there's a positive conspiracy that all of this is making us hungry for actual human react interaction. And we will realize just how important it is to our collective and personal well-being. Um, because clearly, you know, I've heard, I've had this conversation with many people. We do crave it. We do actually want it but there clearly is also a sort of addictive quality to the other thing but i also find that the interesting thing is desire like how desire manifests so they're both desires but there's a particular like energy with the desire to connect to a human being and the desire to connect to your personal computer called your phone mm. yeah Whew. Well, we shall see where where the mm -hmm. world, how the world turns. What was that old school um, soap opera? How the world turns, the way the as the world, world turns. turns, as the world turns. So, getting out of like my conspiracy theory uh, rabbit hole, who is Miss Felicia Savage Friedman? So, Miss Felicia Savage Friedman is the leader of Yoga Roots on Location which is an embodied, um, I would say like yoga revolution, um, yoga or yoga-based revolution to really bring a connection to mind, body, soul and to other people. So um, she was centered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was my yoga teacher. So I, I did my 200 hour yoga teacher training. And so her training is really unique in that it is again very embodied, very focused on, you know, really getting in touch with yourself, and also very very rooted in anti-racism, um, questioning of capitalism, as well as you know basically upending the patriarchy. <laughs> so that's like her work in a nutshell. But she also is just an, a really amazing person. Like if I. I always have, like, I'm, I'm an Aries and, you know, again, I have the Aquarian, like, contrarian stuff in me. Um, so the guru relationship is always something I'm like, mm, I don't know about this. But if I had to consider someone to be my personal guru, like my moralistic North Star, I would consider Felicia, Miss Felicia Savage Friedman to be that because I just think that she really, she walks the talk, right? A lot of people talk mm. about a lot of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> like you can perform a lot these days, right? Like it's actually getting yes. easier to perform a certain amount of uh, work. And then you meet the person and immediately your spirit knows that this person has done nothing mm -hmm. right? or little, not to be mean, but I really do feel that. I'm like, you haven't done this much work. But her, on the other hand, 
Um, she said that she's been doing this for years. She's been doing this, I think she's been teaching I don't know, for 30, 30 plus years, right? That's a oh, long wow. time. That's also yeah. really revolutionary when you think about like black women in yoga, right? Because yoga unfortunately has become, you know, kind of the nirvana for white women. So to really bring this practice, this is very spiritual yet very somatic based practice to all kinds of bodies all kinds of people it's just amazing like i cannot do downward dog without bending my knees you know and i've been i've been practicing yoga off and on for again better part like a decade and a half right but for me and i used to be like that was my ego thing i wanted to be very bendy and cute you know on instagram and Mm-hmm. Look how flexible she is, right? It's never happened. It's probably never going to happen. But <laughs> what I do receive from yoga is a cohesion. And I think that she really inspires like her students to find that like cohesion inside themselves. That's beautiful. I, I know yeah. I, I think you had mentioned her in um, some of the things that, some of the ways that she had inspired you in mm-hmm. one of your the emails that you send out mm-hmm. and I was like wow that went into like my little note I was telling Hannah before the episode I have a little note a little place like in my emails where I keep questions for future guests that I want on the pod in Hannah's case people that I want to come back on the pod um and I read that and I was like wow one you became a yoga and you know you you became certified in yoga which is awesome but I was um it, it I've I've been doing yoga since I was probably 12 or 13. Like my mom got me in hot yoga and I have been doing it on and off ever since. Mm -hmm. So I love hot yoga. Like I will, I would go every day. Like Bikram is kind of an asshole, but I do love hot yoga. (laughs) Bikram is a perv. um, Unfortunately. I love the style of yoga that (laughs) he created. It's great for anxiety. It is. It is. It definitely Mm -hmm. is. Um, yeah, just definitely got to take the guru out of that one. Mm-hmm. But going back um, to email, I saw this person that you were speaking about. So um, I, Hannah, if you've got some information that you'd love to share about her, I'd be happy to add that to this description if anybody's mm-hmm. interested and maybe like looking into mm-hmm. more of what she's done. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to, to share that because I think, yes. yeah, I would All love to like provide yeah. that connection. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can, I guess I can probably also like find it, find the link here. But yeah, and if you are someone who wants to teach, I would say definitely she is a great teacher. And um, again, like we go deep around, um, you know, she calls it like embodied anti-racist organizing. So it's very deep, but it's in a way that I think feels um, feels um, sustainable and real. Mm-hmm. And I've learned a lot. Like I learned, I think that was like kind of my apex in some ways of kind of bringing that anti-racism to the body as opposed to just keeping mm-hmm. it in the mind. Because that's actually one of the things that racism does is it dehumanizes us so deeply that we become thoroughly detached from the body. Um, And so for Black women, especially, having that power to come back to our bodies to decide like, oh, do I need to stretch? Am I holding my breath? Should I, can I move slower? Can I, you know, just 
really come home to my physical self, right? Like these, that's, those considerations were all taken from Black people, um, from colonialism and from, you know, the slave trade, right? Like literally you became a body that was under control and, um, you, you know, that, that right was taken from you. So every time you come back to your body, you accept your body, you love bodies, you know, you appreciate Black bodies, you are basically becoming an embodied anti-racist, you know, mm. which is beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So if, if you want to hear more about or learn more about um, Miss, Miss Felicia Savage Friedman, you can definitely take a look in the description. I will be sure to include that. Um, Man, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Me too. Um, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you know we got to link up again. Um, I won't let it be this long before <laughs> before we link up again. <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really happy for you. I'm excited for you. You're as usual doing like awesome things and like continuing to like I think inspire other people um and I hope that people that are listening if you're interested I feel like even if you're maybe not at the at the amateur writing or not the amateur the what's the word in emerging if you're writer. not emerging writer <laughs> if you don't feel like you're quite a, a, an emerging writer yet I still think it's worth at least following Hannah and like watching her journey um and i think it's super powerful that uh that she's she started quite a few different um yeah <laughs> different groups and there's two that i before we before we wrap up there's two that i just want to ask you to kind of tell our listeners more about mm -hmm. the first is seduce your muse which i saw is uh, in a couple weeks i think um and then women writing weed and wine what that's about who can come and like where they can sign up okay so seduce your muse is my creation and it's going to be a um two session class about how to connect to your personal muse so usually the aspect of the muse was thought of as a a feminine woman person who inspired a great artist who was usually a man, right? <laughs> and they yeah. be, kind they, of like uncut gems, uncut gems. Did you? Yes, say that? uncut gems. You know, uncut <laughs> yeah. Uncut so <laughs> very much like in in that way, like you're the, the muse, right? But it's very inactive on the feminine part, um, and you know the feminine energy can be very receptive and not as storming, right? But there's still an activation of the feminine. So what I'm teaching is like, how do you connect to your own muse, right? How do you connect to your own creative energy that's going to inspire you, propel you to create the works of art that are actually living in your soul? And, you know, it's not just like, get inspired, go outside. It's like, let's actually talk about real plans about how to make this possible for you mm -hmm. so that you can actually bring this into your life so that you can actually write the short story, create the podcast, you know, um, create that like event movement 
with your true inspiration with what you are instead of it being like okay you have to do this cookie cutter thing that's just out there so seduce and i use the word seduce because seducing is an act of attraction you know, i always say like there's flirts natural flirts and there are natural seducers so yeah. for those of us who happen to be introverted or quiet we may not be the best flirts because I think flirting is kind of extroverted energy, but we are awesome at seducing. We are awesome mm-hmm. at attracting. And that can be very powerful. Now you can use that power for good or for evil, right? Um, there are very, <laughs> like, you know, unfortunately, yes, you, that with great power becomes great responsibility, but it's the power of attracting your muse to then further inspire you to create your art. And once you learn how to, what conditions you need to set to do that, you can repeat it again. Because I was just seeing that, oh my gosh, like the conditions to have like good sex are the same conditions that actually really inspire like sustainable creativity. And I was like, okay, I have to teach a class about this. That's awesome. I love it. And tell me about, um, looks like July 2nd, which is Saturday, but mm-hmm. I think you run this series quite often. Yes, I women. do. So there's another series that Hannah does. It's um, Women Writing Weed and Wine for mm-hmm. Canna Positive Writers Who Want to a Safe Space to Sip, Smoke, and Write. So tell me a little bit about that. So Women Writing Weed and Wine, it is a monthly writing workshop slash party So it's really for the writer who is looking for a more supportive space to really get, to really feel connected to your own creativity. It's also really for writers who have a hard time starting. So if you're someone who's like, I want to write, but I always get stuck, you need to create the conditions that are going to make it easy for you to start. So what I do in this workshop is I show you just by actively doing it how to create conditions for you to start, but you don't even kind of realize we're doing it because we're having so much fun and we're writing and everyone is always cool. And I'm always amazed at what happens when people come together to write. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that there's a strange but beautiful alchemy that always happens when people come together and they're like, we're coming here to create from ourselves. Like, it's really, really weird, but I've I've seen it. I've been in enough workshops that I know it happens. And so it's also taking the stigma away from um, weed and wine, because I think that sometimes in in our current day and age, there's this idea that either you're hundred percent sober or you're just like a drunk and a stoner. (laughs) There's no middle ground about how do you effectively use these things in an intentional way. Um, And so what I've learned is that, with me, like I have to be very intentional, right? I do struggle with anxiety. I can go into the realm of either fist, no, or extreme kind of giving into it. But this was a space where I felt like I was actually being intentional about bringing cannabis and sometimes wine as a um, help to write. Mm -hmm. And also just as a way to bond with people. So I always call it, it's kind of like, if you're going to brunch, but you're actually going to create something, you know, like this would be, yeah. it'd be like a writer's brunch, like kind of vibe. But what I also love is just what people create who don't even call themselves writers. Um, and then there's, of course, the writers who come and create such beautiful work, right? So 
I teach um, craft. So I'll like go, I'll give you a mini craft lesson. We are looking at Raven Lalani's um, book, which is called Luster. Um, you know, it's a very, it's, she's a, she's a, I, again, I, I take people who are good at their craft. She's a master storyteller and a writer. And so we're going to be studying just an aspect of her work each month. And we write, we have some sip and smoke time and the atmosphere is very, very supportive so that you feel um, more likely to start your own work um, outside the workshop. Oh, I love that. If you are interested in either of those two events, um, even if you are listening to it maybe later, um, definitely go to the description, all of the information for those events and then links to, uh, for any of Hannah's upcoming events will be there. Um, just go and support. If, if any of this is interesting to you, this is your sign. <laughs> Reach yes. out. Um, Hannah's awesome. I've, uh, Hannah and I, like I said, met a while back, a few years ago, and it's just been exciting to, to watch her journey. But I've got three quick questions. I was supposed yeah. to do this earlier. I got too excited, like I do sometimes. Um, Hannah, who is, in the past six months, who's been your favorite person to read? I discovered, and I'm not saying like Hannah, I just found her. She's actually a pretty famous writer. But I really love Banana Yoshimoto. Um, she's a Japanese writer. And as soon, I read her short story collection, Lizard, and I was like in love. I was like, okay, whatever you write, I'm going to go look for it. I'm going to read every single thing you've written. So okay. I really like her a lot. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, what's your favorite lipstick color? Because you always come with oh, yeah. memories like galaxy lipstick. And I love it. Um, so my favorite list is very tried and true. Um, you know, I actually, I'm actually thinking about writing an essay just about like my love and graduate, like my love for dark lipstick. I've always, back when we didn't have YouTube and all these things yeah. and lipstick colors were terrible. I would mix, probably was not great for my lips. I would mix um, Vaseline and um, mascara. <laughs> Oh. And I would wear it as my lipstick, right? I've always liked like really dark colors, but my favorite one, um, I, I do like the matte, but I often will mix it with a gloss, but I really love, um, it's NYX and the color, it's a, their liquid matte and it's called Oh Put It On. That's like my absolutely mm. favorite dark cranberry shade. Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, last one, favorite strain of cannabis. Oh gosh, there's so many that I really <laughs> love. Gosh, it's hard. Um, okay. So do I, do, can I name a sativa and, uh, actually, you know, let me, let me like try to narrow it down. I was like, I was going to, you know, the sativa. You can name a sativa and a. It's kind of a misnomer. It's not real, like really okay. that you're separating that way. So, okay, let me, let me try to think of one that, like, gosh, okay. I would say my favorite, I'm going to say Girl Scout cookies. Okay. I feel like, I I think it's actually a hybrid, if I, remember, if I remember correctly, but I always just feel very, like, you know, I'm doing this move, but I just, I feel very happy. She's, like, shaking her head, I'm like, shaking my head, I'm, 
I'm alive, I'm dazzling, you know, I'm glittering. Yeah. I feel very alive when I do that one. I also will say that I really love um, Forbidden Fruit. Mm. I think it's like an indica dominant um, strain. That one kind of puts me into a more just like body, um, languid, but not like couch lock kind of thing. Um, So I would say that those two strains are my favorites. Oh, I love that. Okay, last question, I promise. What is your biggest piece of advice for somebody who um, maybe they've been a writer, but they have never kind of like made the leap into pursuing it, maybe not professionally, but just pursuing it a little bit more seriously. What's what's a little piece of advice that you have for them? I think the, hmm. I think it would be to really identify what good writing does for them, like when they read, right? Because all, all good writers are readers, are, are good readers. So I think it's like to really identify how good writing makes you feel And I think when you identify how good writing makes you feel, you'll be more in touch with what you want to do and how you Mm -hmm. want to do it. So whoever's your favorite writer, or if you have a favorite style of writing, or even a favorite format of writing, to really, um, you know, like, discover what those things are. And then I think to decide, you know, because it really does come up with a decision. How do you want writing to fit into your life? And to really get out that mind, I'm giving like a lot of advice, but to get out that mindset that writing, the writing path doesn't look this very specific way because it doesn't. Like Octavia Butler was once a potato chip inspector, you know? Really? Uh, yeah. Like that was one of her jobs. She's like, I hated, wow. she did a lot of like, you know, service jobs. Imagine that genius. And that's what she's doing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, or like David Sedaris who had to like play like a, an elf, like a Christmas elf, you know, for me, I think it was like for Macy's, right? So this idea that, oh, the writer's path looks like this specific thing, it's such a lie. And I think that takes a lot of people out of the game. But I think Mm -hmm. what kept them going is that they always, I think at the back of their mind, a little ways, like they loved something about writing, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. it was the humor of writing. Maybe it was the the way to work through certain um, issues uh, in writing, social justice or social issues in writing. And that's what kept them going. So I think for wherever you are in your life, to know that, to really pay attention to what attracts you to writing and then to realize that no path looks the same. That you can be a writer exactly from the path that you're at, but you do have to make that decision and you have to like make an intention about how you're going to now move with that knowledge. Yeah. Wow. I love that, Hannah. Thank you so much. Um, this has been like another like really great episode. Um, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with Hannah or follow her on social media, check out the description. All of her information will be in there along with some of the, the resources that we talked about. Um, I'll make sure to add those books in that you mentioned um, as well. Um, but yeah, Hannah, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking time out and uh, I won't let it go this long without us like <laughs> linking up again. Yes, please. Please keep the, the distance. I would. I also want to thank you 
thank you for keeping me in mind, like these conversations. I also gained so much from your from your knowledge. And then I just also just want to say like what you're doing is just so powerful. And I know thank it's you. helping so many people, whether you see that um impact right now or not, just know that it's happening. Just people seeing the name Black Girls Have Anxiety too is life-changing for somebody. You know what I'm saying? So um, I hope you never discount that. And I hope you always remember that because I went way too long not knowing what was going on with me and thinking that there was something wrong with, literally like there's something deeply wrong with me. So just having this out there is going to help so many people. And it's so clear and it's so you. And, you know, I just wish you all the good things. I know we'll talk again, but I'm just saying, like, um, yeah. thank you so much for, like, keeping this going. I know it's not easy being a, a creator, especially in today's world. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the, I appreciate that, Hannah. Um, mm -hmm. I will, I will just keep it going. And I may not do everything on the right times when I want to in my master plan, but um, like I'm super grateful to have people like you come into my life like before this even happened and just be able to be inspired by you and the other people that I've had on the podcast. So um, I'm, I'm happy that people are going to have a chance to meet you. I've had a chance to meet you today. Uh, if you're still listening, please go back and listen to her other episodes. Scroll down. It's like probably in the first 10 episodes. Um, but I really think that you're just like, I've, I've, like I said, I've met Hannah before the podcast and she has like this like different type of je ne sais quoi, this different type of like energy, this different type of aura. She just kind of like, I feel like you float through the room and <laughs> Like the first time we recorded together, she had a galaxy background. And I was like, yo, this is so fitting because mm -hmm. she just kind of like floats and like the voice, everything just like, is like caramel, just like, Aww, you know, hot caramel. You. I love it. <laughs> so <laughs> I just really hope that. Yeah, it's hot caramel. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm putting it on, but that's, yeah. um, <laughs> I just love your energy. And I feel like you just, always very positive and forward thinking and um, super open-minded and yeah, and super talented. So I, I will keep cheering you on from afar. Oh, One of these you. days when I make it to California, we'll yes. link up and I'll buy you a couple of coffees, maybe yes. dinner. <laughs> yes. But yes, um, awesome. thank you. <laughs> yes. Where are yes. you right now? Sorry, I don't mean to like pry. <laughs> I'm like saying something. Oh no, I'm in Tampa. So I left Miami Tampa, like okay. a year and a half okay. maybe almost two years ago um i'm in tampa so i'm still in florida i'm still in the sun by the beach um one of these days i'll make it to california yeah please come out we have some sun too yeah. so yeah You'll it's a little cold it. out there but i'll be i'll be out there soon not, not here. <laughs> in sometimes in southern california but you know northern california for sure you will get that yeah. show. but unless you go to san diego come to LA I'm like, I'm like every time I talk about California I start to get very California in my voice I notice I'm like yeah, yeah. I'm like it's very just come very, to LA yeah. but LA's cool <laughs> I mean and there's so much to do it's not just like one thing so yeah I'll mm -hmm. make it out soon enough but thank you thank you so much Hannah yeah. thank you to everybody that's listening um I just want to like give a shout out to everybody that's listening I appreciate you guys tuning in um 
I take a look at Anchor every time I go, probably like once a week, and especially when I'm releasing an episode. And it's like kind of mind blowing to see where we were with the podcast before and kind of like how it's grown. And I'm super excited that people are listening. Um, if you're new to the podcast, thank you so much. Um, make sure you scroll back and listen to some of those earlier episodes. They're just as great as the most recent ones. Um, so yeah, I appreciate the love. If you think this would help somebody, please share it with them. Follow us on uh, at Black, Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on Instagram. On Twitter, it's Anxious Black Girls. That's BLK, Anxious Black Girls. Um, I am on TikTok now. I have a couple videos. Okay. Come through and give them a little heart. Uh, at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on Twitter. Uh, keep an eye out. I'm pushing for a website this year. I won't mention other things because if I mention them, I won't get them done. But I appreciate all the love. <laughs> And um, I will see you guys next time. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.